many believe it's the will of God for you to grow? How about the rest? So I've got her on your sheet. Anything healthy is growing and anything growing is changing. So I, I like to think about it this way. Growth equals change. If you're changing, then you're growing. If you're not changing, you may be stuck and not growing. So um, in fact, one guy said the path of spiritual growth, I like this, is the path of lifelong learning. And I like even calling it a path because if you're on a path, what are you doing? You're taking steps. So, so if you think about life as, a, as making a series of small steps, and if I'm going to a particular destination, what gets me there is not a big leap, it's just a series of small steps. And that's how spiritual growth is. It's a series of small incremental steps. Again, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament said, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. That's how we grow, and that's how we grow spiritually. Uh, last week, uh, Joe Coyne, my friend, was here, and he had a quote that he made from actually a book that I've read. Um, I'm reading it for the fourth time because it was so good uh, now, and it's called Leadership Pain by Samuel Chand, and here's a direct quote from that book. He says, there is no growth without change. No change without pain. Mm. Uh, so there's no growth without pain. Now that's not exciting in the American culture because American culture is always about doing what's the easiest, that which takes the least ability. But if you're going to change for the better, how many know change produces personal pain? Yes or no? So I know that doesn't sound exciting, but if you know how it works, it really is. So I want to ask you, are you interested enough in personal growth that you're willing to face the pain that change produces? You know, the easiest thing to do is to coast along in life. Now, I turned 60. I know I don't look it. I get it. I'm joking. <laughs> I turned 60 last night. But you know what? I don't feel, I feel honestly, I don't know, maybe, maybe 30 I actually feel better than I did when I was 30. I'm excited about life. And so I turned 60, but you know, I think my best years are ahead of me. And you know what a lot of people do? I turn someone, I'm getting old, I'm falling apart. Can't do what I used to do. Shut up. I mean, just shut up. You know, I think God told, who did God tell? I think uh, Joshua, as your days, so shall your strength be. How many expecting to be strong lifelong? I mean, really, mentally strong, emotionally strong, physically strong. Well, if you got that, you got a purpose in it. So, see, I've been for years doing, I include in every day what I want my tomorrow to be. So I want to be close to that lady sitting on the front seat on the left side or your right side right here. I want to be, so we do stuff every day, right? And we smooch and kiss and love and say sweet things and I help her and, you know, she helps me. We do stuff, right? And I want to be close to my kids. So now they're all moved away in marriage. So they, we text and we do stuff and we call and we FaceTime. And I want to be close to my grandkids. So we uh, call and we talk. We go see them and we just do stuff like that. And I want to be healthy physically. So I watch what I eat. I exercise. Yeah. I want to be healthy mentally. So I, I, put, I, put, away, uh, I put away unforgiveness and all kind of, any kind of problems with relationships. I make sure I deal with them in real time. Because how many know that? will hinder you, right? So if I want to be healthy in the future, I got to do healthy things today. So what are you doing today? 
What are you doing for your future to keep yourself agile, to keep yourself moving? A lot of people stagnate. And I'm telling you, I think the worst thing we do in America is retire. That went over like a lead balloon. Nothing wrong with retiring. But if you retire from life, you're messing up. God never created us to do nothing. By design, we should always be moving forward. How many agree? So, so you, if, you, if you want a way to keep yourself moving forward, I think about this regularly. And I read what I'm about to read to you in the um, mid-80s. I was in my 20s. And I was reading that classic Amplified Bible. Now they've got a couple of different Amplified Bibles. And I read this scripture and it, it challenged it. I probably think about this at least, maybe once a day, at least three or four times a week, honestly. And it comes across my thoughts patterns and here it is second corinthians 5 10 for we must all appear and be revealed as we are before the judgment seat of christ so that each one may receive his pay according to what he's done in the body whether good or evil considering what his purpose and motive have been what he's achieved been busy with and given himself and his attention to accomplishing this wasn't written to non-christians this was written to christian people and what it says is one day when we leave our physical body uh, we're going to stand before jesus and give an account for what we did with our time and ourselves in our human bodies salvation obviously is not in view we're saved but, but he wants to know what we did with our time. So, so the American idea is, I got my time. I do what I want to do with my time. I got my money. I got my car. I got my house. I got my job. I got my stuff. You leave me alone. I leave you alone. But that's not how God thinks. He says, when you come to Jesus, you belong to him from head to toe. Your time belongs to him. Your things belong to him. In fact, you're just a steward of what he provides. Yes or no? That means you're a steward of your energy. You're steward of your time. You're steward of the abilities that God has given you. And he's going to ask you what you did with him when you meet Jesus one day. Now, I don't know about you, but now that chat, now salvation's not in you, but that challenges me. You know what it makes me think? I want to give God my best every day. What do you think? See, it's easy, particularly in America, to plateau and to say, oh, well, I've done living life. Man, y'all, I've been in ministry since 1981. I could not be more excited about the next years of my life. In fact, I think I'm going to be more productive in the next years than I ever have been in my whole life because I've been spending my whole life to get here. Now, what if you think that way? Don't think you're, you know what we do with our old people? We're sticking them in a retirement home or in a retirement community. Don't mess with, you ain't got time. You don't have the energy, you know. You just be over, forget it. Get busy. Live life. Don't plateau. How many hear me? Oh, yeah, here we are. Listen, the Apostle Paul, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forget what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. When he said straining forward, I get the idea of somebody that's, man, all the muscles are taut. They're moving forward and I can see the, I can see the veins in his neck popping out. <laughs> not through. We've got a lot more to do, right? 
Then he said, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I love that. So let me ask you some questions again. Are you changing from week to week, month to month, year by year? If not, why not? Have you resigned from life? Friend, it's never the will of God. We have setbacks, but that never means we quit. How many hear me? You know, we're always moving forward, looking forward, taking our eyes off ourselves, and putting our eyes on Jesus and others. If you do that, you don't have time to be bored and you don't have time, you know, to get into mischief. How many hear me? Yeah. So, um, and then let me encourage you to do this. Ask God to challenge you back again. Some of my f- most formative times, of course, was in, when I was in my 20s and I, I got my ministry start then. And I started working, you've heard me say this, a large church in Tulsa. And I would uh, um, wake up early in the morning. And uh, so let me just challenge you let me, a couple of things here at uh, the same time. Um, the pain of change. Let me talk to you about the pain of change in my life, first of all. And we'll go through the four points of, uh, that are characteristics of um, of spiritual children today. We talked about babies last time, but let me talk to you a minute about, about uh, spiritual pain. So um, I was 22, 23, living in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Susan and I moved there, uh, graduated from my second Bible school. I've been to three. And, um, and you know, I was in, ministering to some capacity, but I was not satisfied and I couldn't figure out why. And bottom line, God really spoke to me and it was a real pain for him to speak to me. God spoke to me, Mitch, I want you to devote your mornings. I'm not a morning person. I'm the kind of guy I need three cups of coffee before I say hi. I mean, that's just me. I never would even talk to Susan until I had some coffee in my bed. I just, you know, I just don't talk no more. But God said, I want you to devote your mornings to me. You know what that meant? That means I had to give my nights up. And that means I had to go to bed. I started going to bed at, at 9.30. I'm not making this up in my 20s, 9.30 at night. Is that a sacrifice? Of course it is. Could I have been doing things at night? Of course I could. Did I have friends that want me to stay out, stay out with them? Of course I did. Did I have to say no? Yes. Was it comfortable? Not always. It was a pain. But it's worth it. So I started getting up at quarter till 6, then 5.30, then 5.15, then 5 o'clock, then 4.45. And years and years ago in the 80s, I started getting up generally at 4.30 in the morning. And I spent a couple hours with the Lord every morning. But y'all, let me just tell you what happened. It, it, it was a pain. It was a challenge. I didn't like doing it. Sometimes, you know, I'm reading my Bible about to fall asleep. But I just kept down. You know what happened? Something happened inside me. I started changing. And this little boy from a little hole-in-the-wall place called Mars Bluff in Florence, South Carolina, started changing. And God started doing stuff inside of me. See, see, change produces pain, but it's worth the pain if you can see the end result. Sometimes you can't see. I couldn't then. I look back now and say, Father, I can see. Man, it was worth every Every uh, dying to what my interests, my desires, uh, it's worth lack of sleep sometimes. It's just worth it. The pain of change is worth it. But uh, I started uh, during that time, I, I found a, a, a prayer of David in Psalm 139. I, I'd never done this. Nobody told me to do it, but I started praying it for myself. And to start with, it did nothing, but it produced eventually tremendous results. And it's here, Psalm 139, 23 and 24, New Living Translation says this, Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Isn't that good? I mean, what if you ask God, point out anything in me? 
in my words, in my attitude, in my behaviors, in my habits, in my internal habits, my external habits, in my relationships, in my work ethic, in the way I relate to my spouse, my children. Point out anything in me that offends you. Wow. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now, that path of everlasting life is a positive path. In that path are challenging things. But in that path are the blessings of God upon your life. And you know what? If you'll start going down that path, regardless of when you start, eventually the blessings come. It just works that way, y'all. It just works that way. So, so I just want to encourage you. The pain of change is worth it. It's challenging to start with, but once you get on it, it's really, really amazing. I've changed myself physically several times. I've changed my diet. I've changed my habits, you know, with respect to exercise. I, I exercise a lot now, and, you know, it was a hassle to start with. I've changed how I relate to people relationally. I've had to really pull myself by the ear and say, Mitch, you got to do this. It was uncomfortable. It was challenging but see change is worth the pain everybody say it change is worth the pain look at your neighbor tell them change is worth the pain so you just tell them so what kind of pain do you need in your life to change what is God asking you to do and when I say that it might be a particular thing today let me talk about there's three uh, levels of spiritual maturity in the Bible of course there's more uh, you know physically for us as humans but uh, we want to talk about babyhood childhood next time I'll talk about maturity and that is adulthood today I want to talk about what does it look like to be a spiritual child so and this is so we can map ourselves see where we are and see where we ought to be or where we need to go is that Okay, last time, if you weren't here, October 21, go to our website. The video audio is on there, and uh, you can get that. The notes are there as well. Today, I want to talk about the childhood stage of spiritual growth. And before I start this, I want to say this. See, it takes uh, humans, it takes, uh, you know, um, um, up to what, 15, 18 years. Well, let's just say adulthood's at 18. So it takes 18 years to grow a human up. Right? But animals aren't that way. Just a few months, you got a grown dog or grown cat, grown mule, grown horse, whatever, you know. But it just takes a while for humans because we're so intricately made, designed to, to fellowship with our Creator. God just takes longer. But spiritually speak, spiritual growth is quicker than natural growth. And here's what I've seen. I mentioned this last time. Uh, spiritual, the pace of your spiritual growth is up to you. And a lot of this, the pace of our personal spiritual growth has to do with how much are we willing to commit ourselves to God? How much are we committing ourselves to being a doer of God's word? James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, be a doer of the word, not just a hearer, or you're deceiving yourself. So the, 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 how frequently or how much I put into practice the word of God determines how quickly I've grown. And over the years of my 42 plus years in Jesus now, I've seen people that came to the Lord as a spiritual infant, but grew quite rapidly and actually aggravated people that were in the churches I've attended who had been in the Lord for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, because these young luck starts, so to speak, progress spiritually so much quicker than some of the old ones because they basically folded their arms and say, I already know that. I know what that pastor's going to say. I know how to walk with God. And they're just judging everybody and not doing well. How many hear what I'm saying? So spiritual growth is up to you and the rapi rapidity of spiritual growth is up to us. And it's how much we're willing to deny ourselves, put God's word first in our life, put our flesh under, say no to the world, the flesh and the devil. How many know that's a personal choice? 
Some people aren't willing to make the choices to grow because they're stuck. And it's not hard to be stuck. It's easier to be stuck than it is to move forward. But you know what? If you're willing, you can get unstuck. Sometimes it takes a trusted friend saying, would you pray? go into a trusted friend and saying, would you help me? Sometimes it means cutting and loping off some friendships that are keeping you behind. How many hear what I'm saying? There are three people in the room today. I know by a word of knowledge, friends are keeping you back. And they're keeping you tied to some things in your old life. And, you'll never, and you want to progress in God, but you won't until you cut your friendships. I had a whole pool of friends that I knew since before I started school that I went to, bab- to my Baptist church with as a little boy that I basically had to say, I like you guys and I love you, but you know what? I'm not going to spend time with you like I did because they wanted to do the same old things we used to do. How many hear what I'm saying? So anyway, let's move forward here. Spiritual, gro- uh, spiritual growth, what does it look like? Here are four characteristics of the second stage of spiritual growth at spiritual children. Uh, number one is distraction. Everybody say distraction. So that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, distracted, carried about with every wind of doctrine, he said here in Ephesians 4.14. How many know children are easily distracted? And so we've got four kids. So I say to one of my children years ago, I mean, we want you to empty the trash cans in the house and put them out in the trash container outside because the trash is coming tomorrow. So a couple of hours later, the kitchen trash is about to come out on the floor. And where's the kid? I, they're over here doing this. They're, they're looking at this magazine. They're playing. You've had that happen, right? Distraction. Children are easily distracted. Or my brother and I. You know, we had a, we have a half an acre garden when I was a little boy and uh, I did not like keeping up that half an acre garden. My dad worked every day. So our job during the summer was to take care of a one half acre garden, which is a huge plot of land for two little boys to take care. So we had to hoe it every single week and do all the things necessary. So my brother and I are out there. We had to start early because it gets hot in the summer. And, you know, we're hoeing, we're hoeing the weeds out of the garden. And, and, then, I, then, and then my brother looks over and I'm just kind of. I'm looking at these birds over here in the tree. There's a deer over here coming out the forest. I'm looking at him, looking at my dog's found. It looks like he's found. Here's a cat's found a lizard. Look at that. I got to go see that lizard. Look at that. He's trying to buy. Look at that. I got to go. And you know what I'm saying? Then, and then my brother, you know, then and I'm hoeing and I look over and here's my brother. He's hanging on the hoe. He's looking around. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm just looking around. I'm just thinking. So what do you think about? I don't know, just thinking about stuff, you know. That's the way kids are, right? Easily distracted. And you know, uh, spiritual children are similarly easily distracted. They have a hard time committing to something. And, and you know, let me just say, what you do in the little, how many know you'll do in the big? And all my life, spiritually, God's asked me to do little incremental small things like, like come, how, about, how about like, now I want you to start showing up to church on time. Read between the lines. How many know that was a challenge for me? When I first came to the Lord, it's like, I can be on time to work, but no church. I don't matter. I'll be there 10 minutes late, 15. They'll be about through the song service. I can hear the word, you know. But God said, be there on time. And then I got to the point, he said, be early. All right, that's a bit more of a challenge there. 
How many hear me? What you do in the little, you'll do in the big. And if you can learn to commit to small things and follow it out, work through it. That's the reason when he spoke to me about staying in the word regularly every day, it started changing every other thing in my life. You can't change one area of life except it has a domino effect on others. Is that true or not? So if you discipline yourself in one area, it'll fall over. So if you want to make some changes, you know, God will speak to you about little small things. Just, just little tiny things. If you, so if you can follow through, children are easily distracted. They're also easily distracted by wrong teaching. I said this a couple of weeks ago. Let me say it again. Um, because of the internet and because of the, of the ease of information exchange, we have information 24 hours a day, seven days a week at our fingertips. And, uh, and, the, and the challenge is to read all this stuff, but you got to be able to quantify what you read. And so, and so how many know a lot of the things you read are not necessarily true or the things you see on YouTube? How many know they could be jilted just a little bit, just a little bit wrong, right? Huh? Jesus said, let me say this again, Matthew 24, say this regularly. His disciples said, what's going to be like before you comes back, come back? What's, what's the world going to look like? What's the times going to be like? The first thing that Jesus addressed was, was deception. He said, see to it that no man deceives you. That's Matthew 24, 3 and 4. That's the first thing Jesus said. Don't let people deceive you. And there's a lot of deception today. I mean, if, all you, if you get your doctrine from Facebook or the Internet, you got some problems. I mean, that's why we need a local church. That's why we need a pastor. We need to ask others to challenge the things that we believe. Don't even take what I say at face value. Go make sure you find it in your own Bible so that you'll be safe. How many hear me? Somebody told me years ago when I was an infant believer, and it's changed me. It's really helped me throughout the years of time. Here's what Paul told Timothy about the day we're living in today. He said, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and dead when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God, be prepared, whether the times are favorable or not, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage with good teaching. How many know it's my job to say things even if you don't like it, yes or no? And you know, I don't, I don't get up, up here and preach just because I want friends, because you know what I know? A lot of times the things that I say rub people the wrong way, and I say that's a good rub. If you go to a church, if you're watching and you go to a church and everything you say is just wonderful and nice and it never challenges you, your pastor's not teaching the way he should. If you're teaching the way you should, it's going to challenge your flesh. It's going to challenge your mindset. It's going to challenge our lifestyle. It's going to challenge how we treat ourselves and treat the Lord and treat others. How many hear me? Right? So then he says, for the time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They'll follow after their own desires and will it for teachers will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. So that's the challenge we have today. Now, pastors, because you want a big crowd, you got money, you got to have the money to pay for the big building and blah, blah, blah. The challenge is to tone down the message. I will never do that. I will never do that. I'm going to preach the word but how many know we need to make sure, even if I'm preaching it, it's in the word, right? So be careful about distractions. Number two, spiritual children are talkative. Everybody say talkative. Talkativeness is really it. Children love to talk. And you know, when a, particularly when a child finally figures out, I know this language. I can talk. And that just babble. That just babble, babble, babble well into the evening, right? Your kids do that. Um, 
And spiritual children often are known by a lot of talking. Now, let me say this. Uh, how much you converse and speak, speak has a lot to do with your personality. If you're an introvert, you may not speak as much as an extrovert. But nonetheless, the Bible speaks of watching our words. Listen to Proverbs ten nineteen. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. I like New Living Translation. Too much talk leads to sin. (laughs) Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Isn't that good? Ecclesiastes 5.3, he says here, For a dream comes through much activity. And watch this, a fool's voice is known by his many words. So if you want to appear smart, be quiet. How many know it's true? Or, as he said here in this other translation, shut up. And then uh, James, half-brother of Jesus, said this, Understand, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. So, so we, should, we should do a whole lot more listening than we do speaking. So ask yourself, am I the one that keeps the conversation going and the other person just becomes a bobblehead because I won't shut up? Or do I be quiet and let other people speak? Is that right? Right? So, uh, in fact, um, there's one, a book. I mentioned this first service, a book I've read uh, several times uh, a couple of years ago. Somebody told me I needed to go back and read this old book, copyright 1938. It's by Dale Carnegie. Oh, and I had never read the whole thing in its entirety. So, go back and read it. It's called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And you know what? I went back and read the book, and I'm getting ready to start reading it again, third time. In the last couple of years. Because it helped me. And you know what he said? He said, people love to talk about themselves. So you let other people talk. And you know, it's a mental discipline to keep your mouth shut when you're in front of other people. Because we all like to talk about our stuff. Is that true? If you want to know how to become friendly with other people, let them talk. Because they'll talk about themselves. You just be quieter and you can develop good relationships with other people. And they'll like to be around you. But rare is the person that wants to be friends with somebody who talks about themselves constantly. Right? Kenneth Hagin in his book, Growing Up Spiritual, I read this in the late 1970s. And he, made a, he, he had a comment there. He said, people who talk a lot are frequently guilty of three sins. And he said, number one, evil speaking, that is talking about others, gossiping about others, talking about others' faults and failures when they're not present. How many know that can be a real problem? And so we don't want gossip. That's one thing when I first came to the Lord. In fact, let me just tell you my stuff before we even get to the other two here. Uh, Two things that God specifically had to deal with me about was when I first came to the Lord was gossip because I would talk about people in a derogatory way, talk about their failures and and misdeeds when they're not there. That, how many know that's gossip? So if you come upon a conversation and people are talking about someone in a derogatory way that's not present, the best thing to do is either leave or tell them, look, I don't want to hear that because it's not wise. And I did that. And you know, the Lord had to really challenge me when I first came to the Lord because I was regularly doing that. It was such a habit. I didn't even know I did it. Second thing in my family, and a lot of things you just follow what your family does. In my family, I mean, just the whole history of the Horton family. We are sarcastic people. And the Latin word, is this right? Is this right, uh, Sean? The Latin word for, for sarcasm, the word sarx is flesh. He knows Latin. And the word chasm is the word to cut. Sarcasm means to cut people down. 
bring them down to size. So you know what my family has always done? My grandfather, probably, I didn't know my great-grandfather, my grandfather, my father, my brother. We cut each other down. We'd size somebody up by just making one snide remark, sarcastic remark. When I came to the Lord, I find my, found myself doing that constantly. And something started scratching me like, don't do that. And then I read, you know, Ephesians 4.25, don't let foul or abusive language come out of your mouth, but only that which builds other people up. And, and I mean, I, I was, I mean, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. You need to stop doing that. And it was a real habit. How many know you break a habit one step at a time? So, so I would cut somebody's flesh with my sarcasm. And, and, and I started because God became, dealt with me so strongly. It's like, Mitch, stop doing that. So I stopped, and the way I stopped is I do it, and I tell the person, look, I shouldn't have said that. I'm really sorry. That was demeaning. That wasn't kind. And see, that humbled me, yes, but you know what? It helped me break the habit. Eventually, see, you break a habit by catching it after you do it when the conviction of God is there. And then, and then I keep doing it, and I kept catching myself, kept saying, I'm sorry. Eventually, it just got to the point that before I said the words, the Holy Spirit said, don't you say that. And I then it, now it's to the point that, you know, it may think about, I, it just starts with my thoughts, I just run them right out. No, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to be a sarcastic person. So, you know, let God deal with you about your words. So, so are you a talkative person? Kenneth Hagin says, people who talk a lot, frequently guilty of three sins, challenged in three areas, evil speaking, vain speaking. That is always talking about themselves. And again, the antidote for that is let other people talk. And then foolish speaking uh, which is jesting, joking, things that are just unprofitable. Ephesians 5, 4, New Living Translation, obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. So how many know we need to watch our speaking and learn to cut the flow a little bit? Let other people talk. It's really helpful. Number three, a spiritual child needs recognition. Everybody say recognition. Now, you know, children are just this way. We've all had that experience. Uh, they want, children want you to know what they can do, what they have, what they can, you know, uh, things that they know, et cetera, et cetera. So, so you know, um, so when I'm a little boy, you know, guess what I did? My parents invited visitors to our house. And what did I do? Uh, I come walking down the hall and I, 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 I didn't even say it. I just went, and it's my new toy. It's in my car. And the visitor was like, well, that's nice. Then I go back to my room and I, I got me a new pair of shoes. Because that's what kids do, right? And then I got me a new red ball. It's like. Because I wanted them. Wow, that's really. I said, yeah, that's really something. That's really something. Right? And now my grandkids, do you go to the grandkids' house? They come over and they go, look what I got. That's the way kids are. You ex- but you know, what if an adult says, look what I got. Look at my car. Look what my sound system sounds like at the, when you're at the gas pump. Now, what is that person just showing off? Or you're, you're at the red light, and, and, man, your heart's about to beat out of your chest. Right? Look what I got. Look at my bling. Look at my stuff. Look at my toy. Look at my house. Look at my shoes. Look at my clothes. Look at my money. Look what I can do. Look at my... Shut up. Right? Huh? That's a kid. That's a child. And you know, God wants us to grow up. Here's the thing. I'm going to read this. Y'all give me just a couple of more minutes. Are y'all, everybody good? I'm about done. One more and we're going we gonna, to we gonna go home. Watch this. So it's a big grow up day when I don't need others to see what I have or what I can do. How many hear that? 
Now, you, where that comes home is in church life because we don't know each other. And then you're involved in other people. How many hear me? So Philippians 2, now this is the message fair prayer phrase. Jesus gave us a great example of, of not revealing everything about ourselves to everybody and pumping ourselves up. Now, let me say the message paraphrase is just that, a paraphrase. Lots of different translations of Scripture today. Let me encourage you in your Bible reading, read a good translation, not a paraphrase. Paraphrase. A transfer a translation is a word-for-word translation from the Hebrew or Greek into your language. But a paraphrase sums up what the author of the paraphrase thinks the writer meant. And so it's not accurate, but it's it gives you a sense of that scripture. It's good to read a paraphrase as long as you're reading other scriptures as the main basis for getting in the word. I said that because I see a lot of people today and they're just reading a paraphrase and not the word itself. Don't do that. Read the word. How many hear me? But I'm going to today, see, even though I said that, I'm going to read a paraphrase. So listen to Philippians chapter 2. It's great. It's just great. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave and became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion, because of that obedience, God lifted him high uh, and honored him far beyond anyone or Anything. So Jesus left it as an example. He came and lived inside of the, of the body he created and lived within the creation that he was the author of. That blows me away, does it you? That is absolute utter humility, and, and that's what we should emulate. And so, you know, we're often challenged to constantly reveal because we want to think. How many know if you know who you are and you're satisfied with who, who you are in Jesus, you don't need anything you say, do, or know to prop that up? Huh? And so whether people know you or not, that's okay. Whether people know what you have or not, it doesn't matter. If people don't see your skills or abilities, that's okay. The number one thing is they need to see Jesus in my life and how I treat other people. Yes or no? Is that true? Well, number four, self-will. Now, one of the characteristics of a spiritual infant is self-will, but so, so with a spiritual child. Self-will is a challenge for all of us and has been ever since the first man, Adam, and his wife, Eve, sinned. How many know what happens to a child when a child doesn't get his way? Tantrum, gets upset, acts out, pouting, crying, throwing a fit, demonstrating anger, defensiveness, hurt. Huh? And so, you know, you got to outgrow that. You know, how many have seen adult children? They still act out when they don't get their way. And, you know, let me just say, local church is an awesome place <laughs> where, where, you know, you can see some acting out sometimes. <laughs> we all come from different backgrounds, different different schools of thinking, give different ways of living, different spiritual influences. And we all come to one big church like this one. Then when we get rubbing elbows with each other, we find out we're, we're quite different than the other person. And, and we know we've been doing this for 10 years or 15 years. Why aren't they doing that way, that, that way here? Or you get a new job. 
and they've got a certain way of doing things in that job and you think well I've been doing this job longer than they have I know what to do I'm gonna tell them they need to change it and you get uh, you get met by lots of really bad looks they're looking at you like what planet did you land from right self-will is something we all have to deal with and it's a big grow-up day when we value other people let them talk listen to their opinions and sometimes do it their way and not ours. I'll end with this, but let me just say that in my own life, the past few years, uh, I've been here for 24 years this year, but several years ago, I started getting really uncomfortable with me. The church was doing fine, but something inside of me, I knew God was scratching me and asking me to make some personal changes, and I did not know how to make them. Changes in how I managed Victory Church and changes in how I dealt with our our full-time staff, our volunteer staff, our part-time staff, and and I just tell you, it was kind of a grueling time for me, and, uh, and I actually, it was so bad on me that I had to hire, I hired a personal coach. And let me just tell you my story. So I hired the personal coach and y'all, he sat in my office and sometimes I wanted to make his nose absolutely flat. I'm not kidding. I wanted to, sometimes I just want to get my big hand and slap him. Just slap him, just slap him. Sometimes I want to say, don't you ever set foot in this place again because he said things that just grabbed me. And you know what? He saw things that I didn't see in me. Then he saw the self-centered tendencies. Let me be real. He saw self-centered tendencies that I couldn't see in me. See, you may think you're doing great in life, but see, that's your perspective. That's your vantage point. And if somebody can get the colored glasses off of you and you see yourself the way they see you, it's to, so, so I have to say, Susan, how am I doing? Now, she's got a different perspective. Or you go to your spouse and say, well, how am I doing? Have a different perspective. That coach, man, he chewed on me. He told me about this and this and this, and I had to make some changes. If our church is moving forward as our culture changes, I had to make changes. And y'all, I'm going to tell you, that was painful. That was really hard. I didn't want to listen to him. Honestly, I wanted to let him go, but you know what? I didn't. It took two years. He was here two years. And you know, finally he said, Mitch, you made some changes. Thank you. And I cried. Because I couldn't have done it on my own. See, self-will is when you've got to have your own way and do your own thing. And I was accustomed to everybody doing what I say. I toot the horn and they say, toot it louder. You know, I had my hand in everything. And and God wanted me to get rid of my personal self-will on another level and and let other people make choices. Other people make decisions. I started doing that. You know what I found out? Here's what I found out. You know, we are all about, our our mission statement is helping people become who God created them to be. You know, I found it's really hard to, to help people become who God created them to be when they're always doing only what you say. How many heard what I just said? But when you value other people enough to let them have a say, to let them have a differing opinion than your own. And, and, and many times do it their way and not your way. How many know it helps them? Yes or no? It helps them grow up. It helps them find their own two personal feet spiritually and in lots of ways. And I started doing that. Here's what I found out. It takes longer to do a given thing. 
because we have to meet. Everybody expresses their opinions. But you know what I found? It feels really good to be out from the center of everything. I pastor Victory Church, but I'm not at the center of everything. And I love it when other people get the accolades. They did a great job. That was their idea. We did that as a team, or that person did that. Their group did it as a team. How many know that's how you help other people excel too? So what are you doing in your life? What are you doing with your marriage? So here's how this works. When self-will starts to be demotivated in your life, here's the way it should be. You and your spouse are talking. Man, if you always have your way and your wife never has a say and she's aggravated, how many know, men, you're wrong? That went over big. How many would agree with that, wives? How many wives would say, I need to have a say too sometimes? How many agree? Huh? So with Susan and I, if we always do it my way, we got a problem. It's my problem. I'm full of self-will. You know what? It's true with your children. As your children age, they leave those single digits, go into the teenage years. If you're a smart parent, you know what you're going to do? You're going to let them make some choices and decisions. You're going to decentralize your personal power over them and you're going to let them make some choices that won't burn the house down won't kill the cat won't kill the fish won't kill the dog you know and won't kill you but just let them do some stuff and let them see that they're valuable how many hear me let me also say women if you've got that Jezebel thing going on now see those that have been in the Bible know Jezebel was the wife of a king in Israel and she was telling him everything he ought to do controlling his life if you're controlling your husband and he never has a say or, or he's got or he's going to have a lot of pay to payback if he don't do it how many know you're wrong so how many know if you're in a marriage at least 50% of the time or more you ought to let the other person have their way or you're a self-centered person that went over real big. Let me just keep talking here. We're done. How many get what I'm saying? Really, y'all, it affects your job. It affects your children. It affects your marriage. The self-will thing. It gets us in a heap of trouble, doesn't it? So I just want to encourage you. Watch the distractions. What's the second one? What's the talkativeness? What's the third one? What's the recognition thing? And then watch the self-will thing.